The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. stood in that garden tomb three years ago and I watched and I prayed tears began to run down my face as I saw where Jesus had been laid that mutilated body for me and then suddenly the spirit of God just took over And I lifted my hands, and I began to shout, He is risen! He is risen! And I began to rejoice in Jesus. The tomb was empty. He is not there. He is risen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I have a topic today that is very painful, very difficult, but one that I need to share with you. Now, it's not going to be my interest to give you a full interpretation of the passages of Scripture that I'm going to share with you out of the book of Revelation. 
but the mark of the beast is coming. And it's coming soon. Much sooner than any of us expect. Jesus is coming again. Don't tell me, oh, he has to fulfill this or he has to fulfill that. I'm concerned about being ready to meet Jesus. And so I'm going to focus today not on the details and the explanations. I'm going to give you the bare minimum of that because my heart cry is Jesus and to be ready to meet him, to be able to shout with the saints, Hallelujah! Our Savior reigns! Let's pray as we begin to look at the scriptures. Lord Jesus, I ask in your mighty name now, will you move in the heart of every person who hears this broadcast? Would you bring deep, heartfelt conviction and a willingness to obey you and to walk with you? I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever loved someone so deeply and yet they walk away and they take your life with them and you say, how can I survive this? Have you lost someone to death that was your companion? And you say, Lord, you're going to have to carry me. Do you remember the pain of your heart? Do you know the pain of, as a man loving a woman, or as a woman loving a man? and pouring out all that you have for them, being there for them in every way, giving all that you have. But they keep pushing you away, pushing you away, not being willing to walk with you, not being willing to to fellowship with you, not being willing to love you. I've known that. And I know the deep rending of the heart when you're left alone, rejected. Jesus knows that too. For he poured out everything on the cross for you and for me. And he has been coming to you all of your life seeking after you, seeking after your love, your obedience, your willingness to fellowship with him, your willingness to turn your back on the devil, on the world, on the flesh, and say, Jesus, I love you. I'm all yours. And I give myself to you. Jesus' heart has many times been broken by you and by me as we have pushed him away, as we have not responded to his mercy and his grace and said, I can do this on my own. Thank you very much. I come today honestly confessing to you I cannot do this walk by myself. I need my Lord Jesus. And I find myself, as I'm going to bed at night, I find myself crying out, Lord, I need you. Come close. I will not push you away, Jesus. I awaken in the morning as I did this morning 
my heart clean before God, my heart utterly given to him. First thought in my mind, Jesus, I love you. I am yours. Come and possess this day and me and order my steps. And first thing this morning, he had me reach out to care for another. And I was saying, Lord, I don't feel like reaching out and caring. Do it, Ray. And I did it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where we just utterly give our hearts over to Jesus, even if we don't want to do what he's asking us to do. We just open our hearts and say, Jesus, I'll do it. Even though I know it will mean additional piercing of my heart, I will do it. You see, the currency of the kingdom of God is obedience. And it's based on love. Agape love, poured out love, sacrificial love. So please hear all that I'm going to share with you today in the context of love poured out and receive it not as terrifying, but receive it as, Jesus, I need you. I can tell you now we are going into some of the most horrific times in history. There will be very severe food shortage, probably one to two months away. And I tell you, frankly, you need to have six months of food in your house. Beans and rice and cooking oil, butter, vegetables, fruits, canned fruits. You need to prepare for what's coming. And then there will be a little relief. And then we're going to dive off the deep end. So let me share this with you today. I don't do it to frighten or terrify you. I do it to say, this is what the Bible says we're headed to. This is where we are in time. If you have not yet repented of your wickedness, if you have not yet stopped pushing Jesus away, now is the time. One man that I spoke with early in the week, he kept asking me questions about where we're at in the time frame, and I wouldn't give him clear answers. And he would say, well, pastor, I've repented. And when I'm watching television and something comes on that I shouldn't see, I change the channel and I repent. I said, brother, it sounds to me like you're trying to do just the minimum things you think you're supposed to do. You can't be saved by your works. Jesus wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your loyalty. He doesn't want you to sit and watch television. He doesn't want you to, to sit and watch the entertainment of the world. Even if you think there's nothing wrong with it, he doesn't want you there. He wants your eyes on him. We serve a jealous God. He wants you. I finally said to him, I can't help you because you refuse to be crucified with Christ. You refuse to give up your life. You want your life and Jesus' life too. You can't have both. You have to be born from above. You have to be crucified with Christ. You have to give up your life if you want Jesus. And you're hard-edged. What do you mean I'm hard-edged? 
Well, you want what you want, and you're and you're going to do this and that, and you're not going to do this and that. You're not the one who gets to determine what you're going to do. Jesus is the one who determines that. I said, when you when you're ready to talk to me about total surrender to Jesus, give me a call. We'll talk and pray together. Now let me pray with you before I go. And I prayed that he would utterly give himself over to Jesus. He hasn't done that yet. Now I'm going to begin in the book of Revelation, where the mark of the beast is spoken of. The dragon, as I read these passages of Scripture to you, is a representation of Satan or the devil. The woman is the church. The wicked woman is Mystery Babylon. There is a false there is a false trinity, the beast, the beast power and the Holy Spirit of the anti-trinity, the evil one, the false prophet. Satan always tries to replicate what God is and who he is. And so, we're going to pick up the story in Revelation 13. He begins, or the context for beginning this account is that Satan has has gone to make war with the saints against the, the followers of Jesus, against those who obey God's commandments and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus, those who believe Jesus' word. So I'm talking about those who Obey the Lord God of heaven, not out of human flesh, but out of the Spirit. They've been born from above. They've been transformed into the likeness of Jesus. They are the offspring of the Lord. And they're going to hold to the same testimony that Jesus had. He will not serve the darkness. He will not give way. And so he was crucified. A word of warning. You may face at some time in your life in the near future a guillotine, a hanging, an execution. Will you still follow Jesus? There are many in different parts of the world who today will be faced with the question, will you serve Allah or will you serve Jesus? If you serve Allah, we will release you. If you are determined to serve Jesus, we are going to execute you now. And faithful men and women, boys and girls, are going to say, I will not serve Allah. I will serve the living God of heaven. I will serve Jesus Christ. And they will be shot or murdered or beheaded in some horrific manner. Just because you're in America does not mean you will escape these things. They are coming like a flood to America. Chapter 13, the book of Revelation. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. The sea represents large numbers of people. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his, on his horns, and each one had a blasphemous name. He's describing political powers. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne. In other words, the devil empowered this political organization. Now, please, I'm going to read a fair amount of Scripture. Be patient. Listen carefully. 
and then I'll tie it together at the end. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast, and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? So it's going to be a very powerful organization, a political organization. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise his authority for 42 months. This beast power is going to rule in the earth. This this beast that gives his mark with a false prophet. They will rule for three and a half years of utter horror and terror in the world and in America. Verse 6, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, and all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now, we find in verse 11 the emergence of another beast. It is, again, a political power. It is a mighty power. It emerges from the earth, that is, not from peoples. It doesn't displace other kingdoms. It is a lamb-like beast that speaks like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. We know now that this is possible through the internet and through other technologies. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell. No one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So there is a beast power that will create an image to the first beast. So we have three powers. The dragon, the leopard beast, and this lamb beast. Chapter 14. I'm going to begin in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment is has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And I told you earlier, this judgment has come. The coronavirus is a part of it. 
The famine will be a part of it. The weather will be a part of it. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, explosions of fire from great mountains as they spew forth the lava. All of this is a part of the judgment of God that has come. We are already experiencing that judgment in weather, in earthquakes, in wars, rumors of wars. This is all a beginning of the birth pangs. The birth pangs are happening now, and the judgment of God is being poured out upon the earth. Verse 8, a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. This has not yet taken place, but it will soon take place. Babylon will be destroyed. I believe Babylon is America. There are many different positions on this. And I hesitate to even try to identify all the players. I don't have the wisdom to do that. And those who claim they do are foolish. Revelation is not quickly understood. I've been studying it all of my life. I've listened to countless people present their ideas and then have them proven false. But then a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, this is verse 9, Revelation fourteen nine. If anyone worships the beast and his image. If anyone worships the beast and the lamb-like beast and the dragon and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. <clears throat> Pardon me. I want you to see two things. Those who are called saints... Those who are called saints have two marks. The first is they obey the commandments of God. They obey the word of the Lord. They have been born from above. And secondly, they remain utterly faithful to Jesus. They do not pull back. They are given to the Lord God of heaven. And I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Now, immediately following this proclamation comes the redemption the coming of Jesus. Now, Revelation is difficult because it does not flow in order. It's like a play, and it goes back and forth. But I want to go now with you, let's see, to Revelation, the 20th chapter. Revelation, the 20th chapter. I love chapter 19. I urge you to read it today and rejoice. Read it out loud. Shout it to the Lord. Revelation. Let's see. No, I want to go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. And I'm going to begin with verse 19. Revelation 19, 19. When I saw the beast and the kings of the earth 
and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. And that rider on the horse, on a white horse, is Jesus himself with the saints that are coming with him. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Two political powers are now taken captive. These are the ones who had performed the miraculous signs. With his signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. I believe the United States is that lamb-like beast who will force the mark of the beast. We are watching as America transforms from a democracy into a socialist dictatorship. It's not all complete yet, but it is in process. And I believe that God sent Mr. Trump to delay this process, that we could have seven years of plenty, even though during those seven years we will have much difficulty. And then I believe will come seven years of desperate famine. But I believe that there will be hunger even before that. Already they are speaking about the breakdown of the food chain. China is being warned and Chinese people are not believing the government. They're going and buying up large amounts of rice and cooking oil and other things. And those in the know in the farm are saying America will face in one to two months the beginning of empty grocery shelves like we have never seen before. I'm warning you now. Like Joseph, prepare that you have something for your family and something to share with others. For we don't just care for ourselves, we care for others as well. The two of them, that is the beast and the lamb-like beast, they are thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. We're we're seeing here a tremendous war against Jesus. There are many places in the scripture that talks about this final war. I don't want to go into detail on all of these things because that's not the point of today's broadcast. I'm not trying to simply inform you of facts. I'm trying to call you to obedience to the commandments of God and to the testimony of Jesus. I'm trying to call you to stop pushing back on the love and compassion and mercy that Jesus has for you. I want you to give up your pride and your arrogance. I don't want you to walk as the scribes and Pharisees of the Old Testament and then in the time of Jesus. I don't want you to walk like that. I want your heart to be soft before Jesus. Now, let me continue. We go to Revelation 20. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that is the devil, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God, the people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. Death and Hades gave up the death that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. According to what he had done, did he keep the commandments of God? Did he adhere to the testimony of Jesus? Did he walk in righteousness, or did he continue to walk in sin and pretend that he was covered by the blood of Jesus? The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you are thrown into that lake of fire, Scripture tells us you will be conscious and aware and you will be weeping and gnashing your teeth and begging for your life and you will be thrown into that lake of fire where you will be tormented forever with the devil, with the lamb-like beast, and with the great beast. You will be with the powers of darkness forever, separated from Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What is done? Sin, rebellion, wickedness, vileness lusting after the flesh, pornography, fornication, lusting after the things of the entertainment of the world, lusting after money, lusting after my own pleasure. It's all finished. It's all done. The earth is now going to be made entirely new. It will be clean. The devil will no longer be a about he will be have he will have been cast into the fire of hell along with all who do evil along with every wicked and twisted thing 
but to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I want you to hear that. Dear brother, dear sister, only those who overcome will be brought into this kingdom. You cannot continue to walk in wickedness before God and claim that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees himself, that you can't overcome your sin. That is a lie, and it will be proven so. But, oh, don't let it be proven so in your life and be cast into the fires of hell. He who overcomes... Look at Revelation 3. Look at the letters to the churches. Every time, he says, to him who overcomes will be given. You have to be crucified with Jesus. You have to let the hard edges be broken off your heart. You have to stop pushing God away. You have to stop pushing Jesus away from your heart. You have to stop pushing the Holy Spirit away and rejecting his direction and obey him. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, who are the cowardly? The people pleasers. Those who are afraid to stand up and say, this is truth. I've been thinking a lot in recent days about something called first principles. Well, what is a first principle? Aristotle talked about the first principle. What is it? It is something that is self-evidently true without anyone else supporting it. It is the very root of, it is the very basis of reality. So if I were to give you a very simple syllogism, it will illustrate what I'm talking about. The syllogism begins with, man is mortal. Then, Bob is a man. And the conclusion Bob is mortal. In other words, there's a first principle, and that first principle is man is mortal. It is obvious to any person who looks at the reality of the human life that we are all destined to die, except those precious ones who go all the way through and see the coming of Jesus, who do not take the mark of the beast, but who are hidden away by the Lord. Now, what is the fundamental first principle? Well, we see an apple tree. There was a large apple tree when I was a boy in my backyard, and I loved climbing in it, sitting in it, reading my Bible. Well, that apple, that apple tree produced gnarly apples, worms, it was not a pleasant apple. We didn't even make apple pie out of those apples. Well, people would come to an apple tree and they would see the apple and they would say, it's my right to have that apple. Well, that's not the first principle. The apple is not the first principle. You have to go to the branches. But the branches are not the first principle either. The branches will take you to the trunk, but the trunk is not the first principle. You have to go all the way down into the root, and the root is the first principle of the tree. You could argue, however, that even there, there is something beyond, and that is goodly soil. Without goodly soil, the root cannot fasten itself. I hear today a very common expression, it's my right. Well, no, it's not your right. 
any rights demand responsibility. If you say, it's my right to have health care, you have looked at the apple, not at the root. If you say, every one of us have the right to food, no, we don't. If you say, every person has the right to have an income, no, we don't. That's insanity. It's stupidity. It's what is destroying our whole American culture. No, there is responsibility. And responsibility gets us to the first principle. And one of the first principles is just pick up something and move it. In itself, that is right to do because God created us that way. Without responsibility, there can be no rights. Rights are always dependent upon responsibility. My father lived through the Great Depression of 1929. He was born in 1901. He saw much hardship. I have sat and listened to my father talk about the Great Depression. By God's grace, he was provided for. But he would save every piece of tinfoil and flatten it out and wash it. He would save every plastic bag that food came in because he might need it. He hoarded everything, tin cans he did not want to throw away. He thought it might come in useful at some time. So dad basically always had what he needed because he he never wasted and he always saved. He was what we call responsible. For that time, that was responsibility. Dad did not believe in rights. He believed in he believed in responsibility. Being responsible for my own actions and the consequences of those actions. I remember we were riding in the car and the windows were all down because there was no air conditioning in a 1936 Chevrolet. And I was in the back seat and we passed a boy walking on the sidewalk and I leaned my head out the window and I shouted something at him that was nasty. I don't remember what it was. I called him an idiot or I said, hey, stupid, or whatever it was. My dad quickly stopped the car, opened the door, and pulled me out of the back seat and gave me the whipping of my life. And he said, never say that to another human being. That young man did nothing to you. And the young man stood there on the sidewalk, smiling while he watched my dad whip me. I learned a very valuable lesson that day, to be responsible for my words and my actions. Dad believed in self-reliance and reliance on Jesus. He believed in working hard, in producing something of value for somebody else. These are Values that many of us grew up with. But today they're gone. Now, I want to go to one more passage of Scripture. We're almost out of time for today. I'm going to begin reading for you in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Speaking about the coming of Jesus. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, 
They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. I want to tell you the first principle of all principles is this. Jesus is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life that is self-evident. It is the foundation of every Christian's life. Jesus is Lord. This is Second Thessalonians 2, verse 11. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. This includes those who believe in the sinning Christian, who do not believe that you can overcome your sin, that you're always going to be a sinner because you are denigrating the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and you have not been willing to gain the victory over your sin by the power of the name of Jesus. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. In other words, God chose you to be saved through the regeneration and the power of the Holy Spirit making you holy. We are justified by faith. What does that mean? We are made holy by faith in reality, not a shell game. We are transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus so that we no longer walk in rebellion or sin against Almighty God. Now, that's not a popular word today. But it's not going to be very popular when what you believe is a sinning Christian and you find yourself cast into the fire of hell. If you don't overcome your sin, you will go to hell. You cannot be saved. It is through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through belief in the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the first principle. The mark of the beast is coming. Satan will mark those who are his own. But the seal of God is also coming. And God will mark those who are his own. Don't believe the delusion that you cannot overcome. Don't believe that the blood of Jesus doesn't have the power to radically save you from the powers of the devil and from darkness and bring you into the light. Don't believe the devil. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our website, nationalprayerchapel.com. Become a participant with me in this faith walk of keeping this broadcast on the air. Or you can write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you, my brother, my sister. Go in peace and know Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll talk to you soon. Grace.